do this because a hundred years from now, the church needs to be powerful and impossible to ignore. The church needs to be undeniable in our city of Los Angeles. There are just too many people who come here so gifted, so talented, so fragile. And I'm telling you, Los Angeles needs what we have to offer. And we need to let our city know we're not going anywhere. We're here to stay. If you're just joining us for the first time, for the past two months, we've been traveling together through the way of the warrior, and we've been looking at each chapter to try to discover an ancient path to inner peace. And each chapter is broken down into a code that if we take on as our posture, we'll begin to win the war that is battling within us. And it seemed almost perfect timing because it wasn't planned. It just came together in just the right way that on Good Friday, we actually stepped into code eight, which simply says, the warrior stands in their pain. I couldn't have asked for a more powerful and poignant metaphor of what it means to stand in your pain than on the day when Jesus died. Because if anyone ever understood what it means to have to stand in your pain and to realize that it's on the other side of your pain that you'll find your greatness, it's Jesus. And by the way, isn't it an odd thing that that so oftentimes we turn to God in our pain, hoping that he'll show us a way around pain, outside of pain, to escape pain. And then we find ourselves in as much pain believing in God as we had when we did not believe in God. And we're thinking, okay, God, where's the advantage here? But isn't it crazy that we would actually turn to Jesus to show us a way to live without pain when Jesus did not have a way without pain? You need to be careful when you choose to follow someone who decides that the most critical, essential, profound moment of his life is the moment of greatest pain and suffering. And that's Friday. And, and we all know it's, it has, it's, it's oddly named Good Friday because there's really nothing good about that Friday except that there's a Sunday. And we define things so oftentimes in retrospect because in the moment, it feels as if it's the most tragic moment that has ever existed. And so we realize that everything we talk about when we're talking about those days where Jesus was crucified, buried, and raised from the dead, we can only talk about in retrospect. We can only talk about looking through the lens of the resurrection because the cross has no meaning for us without the resurrection. Friday becomes the most tragic of days if there is no Sunday. And I think the dilemma for so many of us is that we feel like we're living in our Friday. We're living in our suffering. We're living in our pain. We're living in our disappointment. And we keep hoping that, that this Friday will finally come to an end and we'll step into our own Sunday. But most of us, even when we step into a Sunday, I imagine everyone here has had one of those days where you feel like you can't take anymore. I have. You ever had those moments in your life you just think to yourself, God, I, I just can't do this anymore. I, I, I can't even breathe. I'm suffocating from the pressure of life. You ever just beg God to give you a way out? And, and then you're even more frustrated because you, you trusted in God, hoping he would keep you out of stuff like this, days like this, moments like this, and he just gave you more of them and comforts you with words like, but I'm with you. We go, no, I, I don't want Friday, I want Sunday. But the problem with Sundays is that for most of us, when we have our Sunday, that day that's epic, that day where we are absolutely in the zone, have you ever had those days you go, oh, this is the life. This is what I've been waiting for. This day is incredible. It's just a day. <laughs> and somehow it seems like you time travel back to another Friday. But most of us live in the Saturday. That day in between, that day in between where you sense that God might be real and that he might be for you and, and, and yet you can't seem to experience the benefit of God and those promises that he'll be with you and that you will overcome and that you're stronger than you know don't seem to come to fulfillment. So you're stuck between Friday and Sunday and this is where the disciples were. 
They were stuck in that day in between, that day filled with uncertainty, that day filled with mystery, that day that was defined by chaos and confusion. See, I think for many of us, that's, that's where we live our lives. And that day in between, not, not unbelieving, not believing, just longing. See, I, I think a lot of us, it's not that we don't believe in God. We just can't find our way to him. Because every time we reach out and we think we found a relationship with him, we think we found a connection with him, we find ourselves back in real life. And we feel so alone. So in John chapter 20, John writes these words in retrospect. Beginning in verse 19, he says, on the evening of that first day of the week. By the way, the first day of the week is Sunday. You, you may not know that. You may actually think the first day of the week is Monday. Because we live as if the first day of the week is Monday. And that the last day of the week is Sunday. So we live for the weekend, but we really mean Saturday. We live for Saturday and sort of suffer through Sunday because we know Monday's coming. Now, maybe if you could shift your first day from being Monday to being Sunday, shifting the beginning of your week from work to the first day of the week, which is worship. See, if we could start our week not with work, but with worship, it might change everything for us. It says, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and side, and disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. It shouldn't surprise us that, that when this moment begins, the disciples are hiding. Because Jesus is dead. And they don't know what we know. They haven't had the Sunday yet. They've only had the Friday. And they're drowning in the Saturday because Jesus is dead. The one they had hoped and the one they thought was the promised one. The one they were convinced was the Christ, the Messiah, the Deliverer, the Savior of Israel. The one that they believed in, that he would bring freedom and deliverance for them, was now dead. They had placed all their trust in him, all their hope in him. Everything that seemed true to them, they attached to him, and now he was gone, and they had no future. They had no hope. There was no plan B. And the very people who killed Jesus were still alive. And, and by the way, it says they, they locked the doors for, fears, for fear of the Jewish leaders, but remember, the people inside the room were also Jewish. They were afraid of their own people, afraid of, of themselves, afraid of each other. And, and this is the reality. So oftentimes, you say, well, how can God exist when there's so much violence in the world? I mean, this is what we've been looking at even as we've journeyed through the way of the warrior. That so oftentimes we think, well, there, there cannot be a God because God would do something about the human problem. There cannot be a God because there's so much suffering and violence in the world. But here's the moment where God is silent and they're still afraid of each other. There's no God to blame. See, the reality is that we began this journey together one clear observation, the reason the world is at war is that our hearts are at war. The reason there are wars that rage all around us is that there are wars that rage within us. And the only war that will ever end all wars is the war for the human heart. And the reason we have never come to know world peace, the reason we will never have world peace is that we do not have inner peace and we will not have world peace until we have inner peace. And we keep wanting Jesus to solve the problem that's out there. See, the disciples locked themselves in because they were afraid. And it doesn't even need to go to any particular target. They were paralyzed by fear. And I think the reality is that that's the description of most of us. That we live our lives moving from fear to fear to fear to fear. And sometimes it's the fear of death, and so another time it's the fear of failure, and other times it's the fear of rejection. Other times it's the fear of abandonment. I know what it's like to live my life paralyzed by fear. I know what it's like to, to allow fear to determine the boundaries of my freedom. I know what it's like to lock myself in 
But the problem is when you lock everyone out, you've locked yourself in. They're afraid of what's going on around them because the very people that killed Jesus were now looking for them. See, I want you to know that Jesus is the warrior of peace. And the reason they couldn't wrap their mind around it yet is that there are two conflicting narratives going on that were both really difficult to get a hold of. One was Jesus continuously unwrapping to them that he was more than they thought. It would have been fine if he was a great teacher, if he was a rabbi. It would have been acceptable if he was a prophet. They, they had a language for that. If Jesus had been a philosopher, they would have embraced that. If, if Jesus had simply been a healer or a miracle worker, that would have been astonishing and the multitudes would have kept coming and there would have been no problems. The problem was that Jesus kept unwrapping this narrative that he was more than a prophet, more than a teacher, more than a priest, that he was God himself, that God had somehow stepped into human history, taken on flesh and blood, walked among us and lived a sinless and perfect and beautiful life. And if that's hard for you to wrap your brain around, I get that. Because it's hard for me to wrap my brain around that. Can you imagine what it was like for those who were with Jesus, who are talking to Jesus, who are living life with Jesus, who are eating with Jesus, who are, are laughing with Jesus, and they see Jesus sleep, they see him eat, they see him walk, they see him live life in the most human of ways, and Jesus is saying, I'm God. And that narrative was, was more than they could take, more than they could grasp. But then there was another narrative taking place, Jesus, at the same time, not only as he kept unwrapping that he and the Father are one, that before Abraham, I am. Now he's also saying, by the way, I'm going to die. If you destroy this temple, I'll raise it up on the third day. Unless a seed first die, it cannot give life. Jesus kept bringing these metaphors, these images that he would have to die. If I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all humanity to me in reference to the way he would die. And if it was difficult enough to wrap their minds around the idea that Jesus was God walking among us, it was even more difficult to wrap their minds around the fact that this deliverer, this Messiah, this Christ would die. Because they seem to be mutually exclusive, right? Either you're God and you're not going to die because God cannot die. Or you're not God and you're going to die and we need to find someone else to help us because you're going to die. <laughs> and in their minds, this is not who the deliverer must be. You see, they, they thought that Jesus would come and set them free from the Roman Empire. The Messiah would come to deliver them from the oppression of an outside nation that was holding them captive, the, the Messiah would come and deliver them from, from the emptiness of religion, that the Messiah would come and deliver them from injustice and oppression. So there, there cannot be a narrative that Jesus would be the Christ and that he would die because that's an utter failure. It's because there's only one way we know to overcome violence and that's with violence. There's only one strategy we have to overcome an enemy is to become the enemy. And Jesus had a different way. Jesus came as the warrior of peace and he was determined that he would take on the violence of humanity and though he would receive our violence, he would only return to us peace. But by the way, he was a great disappointment because he never came to free them from the things they wanted to be free from. He came to free them from themselves. And I know this is not going to be politically correct, and it might be personally offensive, but I want you to understand, Jesus did not come to set you free from all the things oppressing you. All the things you think are holding you back. Jesus came to free you from you. He came to free me from me. Jesus came to free us from ourselves, and no one wants to hear that, because we keep thinking everything else and everyone else is the problem. Yeah. You ever been a runner? I was a runner. I'm still a runner, I'm just a reformed runner. <laughs> if you're a runner, you may not know you're a runner, but you ran here from somewhere else. See, a runner is that person who messes up their life and thinks it's everyone else's fault. 
And then when they've run out of options and run out of grace and run out of friends and run out of possibilities, they run. And they find some other place with people who do not know them. And they make new friends and they talk about their old friends who are now their enemies in their old place. And now they, they, they convince everyone that, that where they came from was the problem. So now you have new people and, and new opportunities and a new job and a new future, but you still have the old you. So you end up taking that new place and making it just like the old place. And once you find yourself in the same condition as before, you run again and you run again and you run again and you run again and you would think one day you would have this epiphany, this, this in, moment of enlightenment, you'd go... There's only one consistent element everywhere I go, and it's me. But runners don't do that. Runners go, everywhere I go, people are two-faced. Everywhere I go, people, people are, 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 are backbiters. Everywhere I go, no one can be trusted. There's no one out there. Everywhere I go, people, people claim to be my friends and they stop being my friends. Everywhere I go, my employer doesn't see my talent. Everywhere I go, everyone lets me down. And if you think everywhere you go, everyone has let you down, take a moment, pause, reflect, and realize the problem is you. And, and here's the, the challenging thing. We, we actually relate to God in this way. God, fix my life. And God says, all right, I can fix your life, but I can only fix your life by fixing you. Like, yeah, no thanks. <laughs> See, we want God to change our lives. We just don't want God to change us. But I want you to understand God knows you and God knows me. And if he takes the old you and puts you in a new life, you're just going to take that new life and turn it into the old you. See, there's nothing God can do that is so profoundly impactful in your life that will change your circumstance, change your future, change your outcomes, change your experiences if you do not allow him to change you. Because you'll just keep taking the new and making it the old. You'll take the new and making it the old. And, and so if you ran here, if you ran here, if you ran here and you ran away from somewhere, maybe here you can stop running and finally realize you keep running away from it, but it is you. And until you realize that you're trapped in the prison of your own skin, you're not ready to be free. That makes me claustrophobic just to think about it. I feel claustrophobic just thinking that I'm trapped inside of my own skin, that, I, that the one thing I cannot run from, the one thing I cannot escape is me. <sighs> That's terrifying, isn't it? They were locked in a room, trapped in their fears, and I have a sense that there's so many of us here who are locked in a room, trapped in our fears. And, and the problem is, is that we, we think a lot of times that, that the only way to, to keep ourselves from getting hurt more is to shut ourselves down, to lock everything down. You've loved, but you were hurt, so you, you're never gonna try that again. You've trusted, and you're right. We humans, were not trustworthy all the time. But neither are you. But someone, someone you trusted didn't come through, and so you shut yourself down. You, you opened yourself to intimacy, and it, it, it cuts you so deep, so you, you locked yourself down. And the problem is the moment you lock everything out, you've locked yourself in, and you're trapped. See, I want you to know that, that while God may affect your circumstances, and God may affect your surroundings, and God may affect everything else in your life, He's affecting it by changing you. He came to fight for you, for the you you were created to be. We keep wanting God to fix the government and fix society and fix institutions and fix our, 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 our husbands and to fix our wives and to fix our friends. We keep wanting God to fix everyone else. And God goes, let's, let's just start with you. You have one universe you're in charge of. And it's the universe inside of you. I don't know about you, but um, 
I have found myself inadequate to win the war inside of me. I find myself all the time going back to fear and going back to doubt and finding myself feeling so insignificant, feeling so small and feeling so broken. Have you ever just found yourself once again drowning in your own shame and your own guilt and going, God, I'm so embarrassed that you're identified with me? See, what I found is that I'm inadequate to win the war within me. And that's why I'm so grateful there's a God who come to dwell within me, who fights for me, not against me. It says, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Now, it's a little scary that Jesus walked through a locked door. <laughs> and I always think it's funny when, when people of faith try to encourage people who do not have faith with things like, oh, don't worry, God is everywhere. Like, I don't know about you, but that's not always like really helpful. Like, you know, God, and, and then they'll go on. They'll say, you know, God sees everything. There's nowhere you can go, nowhere you can run where God won't be there. And they're like, ah, it's like a Stephen King novel. It's like a Hitchcock movie. They're trying to get away from God. I, I don't know about you, but I don't really want God to see everything, do you? I don't want God to be everywhere, do you? And especially given what we know about God, because if God is all about judgment and condemnation, if God is driven by wrath and anger, do you really want God everywhere? Don't you want some place you can run where God can't find you? But the crazy thing is that even Jesus, even though he could walk through these locked doors, God will not impose himself on a closed heart. You see, God is a gentleman. God will never impose himself on you. God will never force himself on you. And the one locked door that God will not walk through without an invitation is a pathway to you. He'll wait. He'll wait patiently. And he'll press against you with love and he'll keep whispering into your soul, I love you. And he'll keep trying to, to design scenarios where maybe one day you'll stop running from God and you'll just turn around and let love catch up to you. But uh, God will not force himself on you. Jesus stood among them and said, peace be with you. I think this is an important thing, that the first thing he said to them was, peace be with you. Because Jesus has just been killed. He was murdered. And this is now Jesus coming back from the dead. And if you just saw Jesus murdered, and now he's back, wouldn't you be a little concerned what his agenda was? I mean, maybe it was a pro-human agenda before we killed him, but it was not going to be a pro-human agenda after he rose from the dead. And so he begins by letting him know, nothing has changed about my intention. I am still for you. Peace be with you. And he said this, and then he showed them his hands and his side. He showed them the wounds and scars, the marks of our violence. He shows them the proof that he took on all of our violence and all he had for us was love. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Jesus sends out his followers as instruments of peace. But you cannot, you cannot take to the world what you do not have. You cannot bring to the world what you do not have. I do think it's odd that the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. He, he shows them his scars, and they're overjoyed. This, to me, is one of the most powerful evidences that Jesus is God, even more than the resurrection. Now, I know, coming back from the dead, that's a huge evidence. It's, it's a huge upside that proves you're God. But, but I don't think that's the best proof that Jesus is God. I think the best proof that Jesus is God is not that he came back to life, but who he was when he came back to life. Because, let's say, it was me. And you killed me. And maybe you didn't kill me, but... You didn't stop it either. And it, maybe you couldn't stop it, but you sure ran. And I heard you when you said that you'd never deny me, and now you can't remember that you ever knew me. You know, you're going to kill me? You better kill me good. 
Because when you kill me, you better make sure you put me down and I can't get back up. Because if I rise from the dead, if I conquer death, I'm coming back. But my first thought will not be, peace be to you. I'd come through that door. Locked door, no problem. I might actually not say anything for a little while, just create a bit of tension. Is he going to do it slow or fast? And maybe with them, I would have a time of remembering. Remember the last time we were together before you let me get killed? Remember when you sold me out? You. Remember when you betrayed me? You. Remember when you denied me? Yeah, you. I don't even know where you were. Because when I was looking around, you were nowhere to be found. But I don't think I would start with the disciples. I might start with the Roman soldiers. You know, the ones who were casting lots to see who would get my robe. I'd go, oh, who got the robe? <laughs> I, I think you guys tore it into pieces, so let's just get all of you in the room, and let's do this at one time for efficiency's sake. <laughs> but I might actually step further back and go to Pilate. I'd love to have a late-night chat <laughs> with Pilate. It would be a philosophical conversation about truth. Remember when you said, what is truth? I am the truth. <laughs> and the truth will set you free. But see, I thought about this. And, and, and if it had been me, you would have known I wasn't God. Because if you had put all the violence in the human heart on my chest, I would have retaliated with violence. Because I'm not Jesus. You want to know how Jesus is different than us? It's not just that he rose from the dead. Because if he has it his way, you will rise from the dead as well. It's that when he rose from the dead, all he had was love. His singular intention was peace. It never changed who he was, and it never changed how he felt about you. He was never surprised that we were a human species filled with anger and wrath and war and violence. He just took it upon himself, the great surprise, the great reveal, is that God is still for us. He came to usher in his peace. That's what he fought for. Jesus fought for your peace and mine. It's so simple. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. In fact, before he died, in John chapter 14, verse 27, Jesus said this. He said, peace I leave you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So before Jesus was crucified, he said, I'm going to give you peace. I'm giving you my peace. And then after he's crucified and now alive, he says, I haven't changed my mind. All your violence cannot change my intention towards you. I'm going to bring you peace. And I'm going to fight for you, even when you're fighting against me. But Jesus gives us a great diagnostic. You want to know if you have God's peace, if you need God's peace? He gives us a diagnostic. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. If you're living in fear, you definitely need the peace that Jesus brings. By the way, we have a new upgraded word for fear. It's called phobia. Because we're way too advanced to be afraid. We're just phobic. Which is fear. Specialized. We're specialists in fear. Now we're not just afraid of everything, we're afraid of very specific things and everything. And so if you're here and you're paralyzed by fear, you're paralyzed by the fear of death, the fear of failure, you're paralyzed by the fear of insignificance, you're, you're paralyzed by the fear of, of, of abandonment, you're paralyzed by fear, I want you to know that that fear is a diagnostic that you need peace. And he also says, do not let your hearts be troubled, do not worry. See, if you have fear, you've been diagnosed, you need peace. But if you are filled with worry, you also need peace. And there's some of us here, and you know who you are. You are always living under the weight of worry. 
You just know things are going to go bad. Even when they're going good, you know that's just a moment. It's just a transition until it gets worse. There's some of you here, you cannot even live with any joy because you know everything's going to go bad in your life. It's going to get worse. You're just so stressed out. Trying to control your life because you're worried things are going to go wrong. And the reason they go wrong is because you don't know how to rest in life. And so you actually are the wrong that goes. And Jesus said, stop letting your hearts be troubled. Stop being suffocated by worry and fear. I'm going to give you this peace that you need. But I think it's important. He says, peace be with you. See, I think a lot of us think that all the promises that Jesus gave us are otherworldly. Because we've been taught that God doesn't like this world. He only likes the other world. And so he's just waiting to wipe out this world because it's just inadequate, insufficient. But Jesus does not say, peace is coming to you. Or one day you'll get to peace. He says, peace be with you. He says, I'm going to give you peace. I'm going to bring you peace. And it's in the here and now. See, I think even though we know the story that Jesus died on the cross, we have absolutely missed why he died. We think Jesus died on the cross to get us out of this world into another world, to get us out of earth into heaven. But Jesus did not die to give you an escape route. He did not die to take you from earth to heaven. He died to bring heaven to earth. You're supposed to love this life. This is not a world that God sees as disposable. He created all the beauty and wonder all around you. This, this planet has, has intrinsic value because it is created out of the imagination of God. And he created it for your pleasure and enjoyment. Here we are living in fear and worry. Have you ever noticed the only place we actually seem to be convinced that peace has come is in cemeteries? On all those tombstones, R.I.P., 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 rest in peace. That's kind of macabre and a little morose because I think the reason we write rest in peace is because they did not live in peace. And so we hope, we hope, I, we, I hope now that he's dead, he's found peace. I don't know about you, but I'm not going to believe in something that I can only find after I'm dead. That does not exist while I'm alive. If Jesus cannot give me peace on earth, I'm not going to believe in peace in the after earth. And and by the way, if you are holding on, hoping that maybe when you die, finally Jesus will do something he promised he would do, you don't know who Jesus is. He came to bring you peace here and now. I want my tombstone to say, lived in peace. Found peace. Gave peace. Fought for peace. Or maybe it just, just could say, warrior of peace. Because that's what Jesus was. And then something is written that doesn't make any sense. Have you ever written, read the Bible and, and suddenly there's a sentence or a statement that doesn't make any sense at all, but you pretend it makes sense because it's in the Bible, so you go, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> that's, wow, that's, that's really spiritual. Right, because you know, it's just, it's just really mystical because it doesn't make any sense at all. So here, here Jesus comes through this locked door and he, he comes to, to set them free from themselves and he comes to usher in his peace. And, and then the next thing John writes is, and with that, he breathed on them. Really, that, that, that's what stood out to you. It was that, was that Jesus was breathing and I think he was breathing the whole time and I think he's been breathing for a long time, and what you thought you should write down, what you thought you should write down so that we would read it for generations to come is that Jesus breathed on them. I don't know about you, but I'm not really like into people breathing on me. 
In fact, I have sort of a, a non-breathing zone. I don't want to inhale where you're exhaling. It's just me. Uh, anybody with me? Okay, it's like, like, I'm like, hey, dude, space. Like, and I'll even think it through. Like, I'll go to a restaurant. Because you, you, ever, you ever with people who are just like, they're like, no, no personal space. Like, oh, man, come on. It's so good to be with you. And I'm like, so dude, you know, it's like, you know, detach. And, and, and so a lot of times I'll go to a place and I make sure my chair's on the other side so we can have space. I need my space. And I, I don't like people breathing on me. I don't like breathing on people. I just, it just feels weird. I mean, I mean wouldn't it be odd if I just thought, <sighs> just going to breathe on you. And it says, and then he breathed on them. Why? I mean, the only time we notice breathing is if something unusual happens. <gasps> you been working out? No, no, I just had to walk to get coffee. <laughs> That's LA cardio. And, uh, <gasps> that could either be something terrified you or you, she just walked in the room. It could be one of the two, but something's caused you to lose your breath. Why did Jesus say, and then he breathed on them? Right after he promised them peace. You see, the, the beginning of the human story is a very unique one. It, it tells us that God spoke and everything came into existence. He said, let there be light and there was light. God spoke and the universe came into existence and began expanding in its ever-expanding essence. God spoke and there were black holes and dark matter and dark energy. God spoke and there were galaxies and solar systems. God spoke and there was gravity and, and the scriptures tell us that God spoke and out of his imagination he created and he created the solar system and God spoke and there was the sun and the moon and the earth and God spoke and there was the water and the mountains, God spoke. And there were the birds that flew in the sky and, and the fish that swam in the sea and the animals that walked on the earth and God spoke until he stopped speaking right before he created us. God could have spoken us into existence. Let them be humans. And it would have been good enough. Because when God speaks, there is life. But he did not do it like that. It was an intimate, intimate moment. We are told that God formed the human out of the earth, out of the clay. The name Adam literally means red because we're formed out of this clay. And there was a human, but there was no life in them. And this is imagery of God kneeling down and pressing close. And God pressed against that first human face to face, nostril to nostril, mouth to mouth. And God breathed life into us. <gasps> And we inhaled when God exhaled, and we became a living being. See, before we needed to breathe oxygen, we needed to breathe life. And then you know how the story goes. There's two of them, naked and unashamed and eating freely. I don't understand a world like that. Perfect paradise and, and no rules except for one. Wow, I would love a world like that. No one to condemn them, no one to judge them, no one to shame them. And, and then the woman begins to have a conversation with the snake and it goes bad. And they eat from the one tree they're not supposed to eat from and it severs their relationship with God. <laughs> and it knocked the wind out of them. It knocked the breath out of them. And even though they didn't notice it completely, they saw its effect. They were suddenly naked and ashamed, but they didn't realize that now they were only breathing the oxygen. They were not breathing the life. And the human soul has been suffocating ever since, trying to find a way to breathe again. Some of you, you've been trying to breathe. It's crazy what we do to try to breathe. We think maybe... 
Maybe fame will give us the breath that our souls long for. And so we pursue fame and fame and fame. And we try to become more known and more known. And we become insta-famous. And, and we, we expand our social media influence because if people know me, maybe I will be alive. But you're suffocating because the more fame you have, the more oxygen you become desperate for. And then you, 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 you try wealth, and, and you think, if you just had a little bit more, have you ever noticed that the only thing you need is just a little bit more? And you have some people who have less than you and some who have more than you, and you think, oh, the person who has more than me, they, they can actually breathe, but you're still suffocating, and you're convinced that having more will actually finally give you the oxygen your soul is longing for. But no matter how much you have, you're still suffocating. And you try everything you can. You, Sometimes you just use people because you're trying to absorb their life. You're trying to steal the life force from another human being and you take their love and you take their hope and you take their dreams and you take them and then you dispose of them when they have left you empty and you've left them broken. And you still can't breathe. And whether it's power or, or possessions or whatever it is, we... We're just trying to find a way to find the oxygen of our soul. And then Jesus comes, and John writes, and with that, he breathed on them. See, John is connecting that moment where humanity lost that breath of life. And now Jesus was breathing on them and restoring that breath of life. The curious thing that he says afterwards is he says, receive the Holy Spirit. What's the connection here? Even in John 14, when Jesus talked about giving his peace, right before that, he said, you will receive my Holy Spirit. So why is Jesus talking about his spirit? See, that the beautiful thing is that word spirit in the Hebrew is ruach. It's translated spirit or wind or breath can even be translated kiss, as if someone is breathing life into you. And in the Greek, that word is pneuma, and it's translated spirit, or wind, or breath. And it's an amazing thing that, that even the word inspiration means to be breathed into. And so Jesus breathes on them and says, receive my breath, receive my wind, receive my spirit, receive my life. See, Jesus came to fight for us. And he came to set us free from ourselves and to usher in his peace in the here and now. But ultimately, the most beautiful Jesus thing that Jesus did was he came to bring us back to life. And if you've ever found yourself suffocating, if you ever had a moment where you couldn't get the oxygen your lungs needed, you know the terror of that moment. And I remember when I struggled with asthma and I could not breathe and I had my little respirator and, 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 and I just, I'd breathe. I couldn't get the air inside of my lungs. There was a desperation. It's as if you're drowning when you're suffocating. And your soul has been drowning and suffocating. And we have language for it. See, you're drowning and you call it despair. But Jesus came to take your despair and give you hope. You're drowning and you call it fear. But Jesus came to take that fear and give you courage. So you're drowning and you call it stress. But Jesus came to take that stress and give you rest. You're drowning, and, and you call it hate, but Jesus came to take that hate and give you love. You're drowning, but you call it bitterness, and he came to take that bitterness and give you forgiveness. You're drowning, but he came, we call it hate and death, but Jesus calls it love and life. And maybe it's time to exhale what is stealing the life of your soul. And inhale the life that Jesus came to give you. He is the breath that brings you back to life. It's a beautiful thing that 
about 2,000 years ago, God took the most violent instrument of death and made it the most profound declaration of life. The cross is a symbol of our violence and a symbol of God's peace. Maybe you're just tired of trying to fight this fight alone. You finally realize that the war that's raging is the one inside of you. Whatever you call it, fear, worry, panic, stress, depression, despair. Some of you are having panic attacks and some of you are just stressed out and some of you barely have the energy to get up in the morning and to face life because you've been fighting this fight by yourself. And there's some of you who are just on the edge of giving up on life. But I want you to know that even if you feel exhausted and even if you have thoughts of giving up, please do not give up the fight because Jesus is fighting for you. And he loves you. He will not give up on you. But what I want you to do right now, I just want you just to bow your heads with me just for a moment and just close your eyes if you want. This is a moment for you. If you're here and somehow the dots connect for you, the pieces have finally come together and you don't have all the answers and you have so many questions, but, but something inside of your soul tells you that this is what you've been searching for. You've been looking for God, and now you realize God's been looking for you. You realize that maybe you've been running from the very God who's been pursuing you with his love. Why fight against the God who's fighting for you? There's some of you here right now, it's time to cross the line of faith and to trust Jesus with your life. And if that's you, and if that's your longing, I want to lead you in a simple prayer. There's nothing magical about this prayer. It's just a conversation with God. And I'm going to lead you in just a one-sentence prayer because there's so much more you and God need to talk about, but that conversation is going to last forever. But a relationship begins somewhere. Let it begin here. Would you pray with me if you're ready to trust Jesus with your life? to let him come into your life, to fight for you. Here's the prayer, just pray with me. Jesus, I give you my life. That's it. Just whisper to him, Jesus, I give you my life. It's just not that hard, it's not that complicated. Jesus came to make it simple. He created you, he knows you, he loves you, he wants you, he died for you, he rose from the dead for you, he's waiting for you. Long before you ever believed in him, he believed in you. He's just waiting for you to say, Jesus, come into my life. Change me, make me new, make me whole, heal my wounds, give me peace. Just tell him right now, Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I give you my life. If this is your prayer, I wanna pray for you. If this is your prayer, I want you to take this moment and find all the courage you can muster up and not worry about anyone else and don't worry about the opinions of anyone else if this is your moment, and this is the moment you cross that line of faith, if you pray, Jesus, I give you my life, I want you right now just to hold your hand up, and I want to pray for you, and I want to see you. I want you right now just to do something physical that expresses what you've just done at the core of your soul. Right now, just hold up your, your hand right now. Jesus, I give you my life. If that's you, beautiful, beautiful. Anyone else? Jesus, I give you my life. So wonderful. Anyone else? Jesus, I give you my life. Beautiful. So good. I know it's the most 
terrifying decision of your life to put your trust in God. But it's the most beautiful thing you can ever do. Anyone else? Jesus, I give you my life. Beautiful. Anyone else? So good. Father, I thank you for the women and the men who in this moment just crossed that line of faith and have opened up their lives to you. I thank you, God, that on this Easter, on this first day, you've had an encounter with these beautiful individuals. And I pray, God, that in this moment, you would just wrap them up in your love and let them know that you'll never leave them or abandon them. I pray, God, that they would know that they have value and significance and worth. And God, I pray that you would set them free from the opinions and, and of others, God, and that they would just be free from the fear of death or failure or rejection. God, I pray that they would be so free because they now have your peace, that nothing but no one could ever get to that peace because that peace is what you fought for. I thank you, Jesus, that every moment that they will ever live, every breath they will ever take, you will fight for them through the power of your love. We thank you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we thank God for all those who just responded to him right now? It's so good. So good. So good. And happy Easter. What a better day. Could there be a better day to open your life to the God who loves you than Easter. And I want you to remember something. Next Sunday, it's Easter too. And by the way, once you open your life up to Jesus, every day is the first day. So if you mess up, if you blow it, if you come short of the expectations of others, don't let anyone hold you to your past. That was yesterday. That was the last day of the last chapter of your life. This is the first day of my future, the first day of my freedom. This is my first day, so let's get up together and celebrate the freedom Jesus came to bring to us. Happy Easter! Thank you so much for joining us on the Mosaic Podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you've just received, allow it to go deeply into your soul, to allow Jesus to do the deep work that only He can do. And I also want to encourage you to be a part of what we're doing here at Mosaic, to go to the Mosaic app and to become a part of the Mosaic Foundation, to become a regular giver and investor in bringing this message across the world. I want to thank you so much for being here with us. God bless you.